Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy. <laughs> Who would have thought? Anyway, a big welcome back to everybody that is a loyal listener of the podcast that's been listening for the past year or so. Really appreciate it. And it's great to get your feedback as each episode comes out. And it's good to be back on track as well. And of course, a big welcome to anybody that's uh, made the effort to click on a link or download or stream or whatever this episode to see what all the fuss is about and uh, get a little bit curious. So thank you so much for making the effort. I hope you enjoy it. I did enjoy doing this episode and uh, by all means go back and listen to some of the uh, previous episodes, the previous 60, if you feel that way inclined. And um, there's lots of weird and wonderful people that I've uh, had on previously. I shouldn't call people weird, but um, I guess some of them are weird. But then, then again, so am I. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Moving along, uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we get stuck into this episode. I am going to be a part of the Apathy Brothers Drum Tour in Australia, the Australian Tour, which is happening next month in February. Uh, for people that are listening in the future and this is past, then you can just ignore everything I'm about to say. But for anybody that is listening to this in the month of January or early February, I am doing two shows with the legendary Carmine and Vinnie Apice. They are doing their Drum Wars tour. In addition to that, Mike Mills will be joining myself as the backing band, so I'll be playing bass, and Mike Mills of Toe Hider will be playing guitar, and of course, I don't know why I say of course, because some people don't even know who's playing, but... Chaz West, the uh, singer from Lynch Mob, I believe he's sung with Foreigner on one occasion as well, um, and a few other projects, and uh, amazing singer, and he's going to be uh, on vocals for the uh, tour. So the tour itself is going to be in Sydney and Melbourne. There's two Drum Wars shows, and there are also two drum clinics. So for any drum drummers or drum fans, uh, strongly recommend checking out the drum clinics as well as the shows. So very quickly, the dates are February 16th at the Factory Theatre for the Drum Clinic in Sydney. The following night, Friday, February 17th at the same venue for the Factory Theatre for the Drum Wars show. Then we cruise on down over the border to Melbourne to do Saturday, February 18th at Max Watts. Uh, which is the Drum Wars show, and then Sunday, February 19th in Melbourne at the Croxton Band Room for the Drum Clinic. So uh, if you're in either of those cities or well, even if you're not, um, strongly recommend uh, seeing if you can make the trek to one of those dates. Um, or you could just go hard and just go to all of them and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go and have a beer somewhere along the way. Um, you can grab tickets from me. I'm going to sell them for 50 bucks, including postage. So um, that's pretty much cost price. So I'm not making any money off this. So I've been given a bunch of uh, cheap tickets and uh, I'm just going to try and offload these tickets to as many people as I can. So 50 bucks a pop and um, I'll do them uh, with a no additional postage charge. You can just hit me up on uh, whatever channel you want. You can email me, you can shoot me a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 whatever you want. There's even, did you know there's a contact form on my website as well? I keep forgetting. I, I put, set one up there and I tested it out and it worked and um, and then it's never been used. So uh, yeah, if you want to try your luck on there, actually someone did, someone did once. I do apologize. But uh, yeah, if you feel like uh, getting a little bit adventurous, you can, you can go over to the contact page on my website, andysocial.net as well. 
Anyway, moving along, this episode features vocalist, frontman of the Adelaide, hmm, I would like to say death slash thrash metal band, but I'm sure all the genre elitists will probably chime in and tell me uh, exactly what niche genre this band is. But anyway, I say death slash thrash extreme metal band Truth Corroded. Uh, Jason North is uh, the man in question and uh, has been a vocal, excuse the pun, part of the Adelaide metal scene for a long, long period of time. Um, Jason's helped us out with, I think, almost every single show that we've ever played in Adelaide, um, probably bar one or two when he hasn't been available. And um, he is pretty much the go-to guy for interstate bands and even some international bands that uh, come through Adelaide. Um, He's just an amazing local booker um, and promoter. He um, also runs several festivals each year. Um, last year, he start, kicked off the uh, South Australian uh, Heavy Music Fest. Um, I'm probably completely butchered that, um, which was um, which Jason mentions in the podcast, which went extremely well, which was showcasing all South Australian heavy bands um, across a whole range of different genres. And I believe that's happening again this year in 2017. He's also been uh, behind the Against the Grain Festival, which is no longer running, but has more or less changed its name to the New Dead Festival. Um, And it's been going for several years now and has developed quite a following. In my opinion, um, has been a replacement to the legendary Medal for the Brain. So for people overseas, we had a yearly metal festival in Canberra called Medal for the Brain. Um, definitely not a Wacken or, um, you know, grass pop or anything like that. But, uh, for us in Australia with such a small population and, and a relatively small metal scene, um, we, this was our Mecca. This was our Australian metal Mecca. So people travel from all over the country, um, each year to drink, party and watch some of Australia's best heavy bands. And, uh, that, for various reasons, had stopped um, well, probably 10 years ago now. And uh, there's been a number of attempts to try and revive different versions of that festival, but uh, Jason has made a lot of strides over the years to build something in Adelaide and make Adelaide a destination for heavy music fans. So each year now it's got to the point, and Jason mentions this in the podcast, where the New Dead is a festival that, Um, a large percentage of interstate uh, fans will travel to. So it's um, it's a really, really cool thing that he's doing Um, and he has a lot of respect within the Australian metal scene and probably across the Australian heavy scene in general with heavy music. Um, you know, without uh, sort of niching any genres there. I've known Jason for quite a few years, obviously through the Lord stuff, booking shows for us, um, but uh, Lord and Truth Corroded have played a number of shows together over the years, um, whether it be in Adelaide or um, interstate at at different uh, little metal fests and shows and whatnot. Um, But we've also toured internationally. We did our first Lord tour in Japan in 2009 with uh, Truth Corroded uh, playing with us as well. Um, We hadn't actually... uh, Actually, I'm sorry, we have met previously. I was going to say we hadn't actually met in person for the first time, but we had met the year before. But, um, yeah, this this was a really cool opportunity at the time to 
to go to Japan. Um, we had been previously, but under the dungeon name, uh, but this is the first time as Lord and it was great to go and experience, I guess, this freshness and this new uh, new version of the band with um, an additional legion of Aussies with us playing music. So it was really cool to, and it was their first time in Japan as well. So there's a lot of great memories. Um, this episode, we talk about Truth Corroded. Um, Jason's also uh, part runs Truth Inc. Records with uh, Greg, their bass player, Gregory Shaw. Um, so we talk a bit about that. Um, we talk about the festivals, New Dead, um, and we spend a lot of time talking about uh, lots of crazy tour stories, but in particular, um, the Asian market when it comes to heavy music. Um, I would like to think that Truth Corroded have been... A, probably the pioneers uh, for Australian heavy music through many parts of Asia. Um, they've been doing it a lot longer than majority of the other bands in the scene, and I think they've carved a path for many other bands to follow, including us as well. So um, there's a lot of respect for what they've done, and at times I think they've they've really sort of uh, taken a lot of risks and a lot of DIY, and as Jason mentions, there's been instances where they've rocked up to venues and there's been all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful surprises. So I'll let Jason go through all that. But uh, a really cool episode. It was great to talk to Jason. I've been meaning to catch up with him for a while to do this uh, podcast, and um, it was good to finally make it happen. And uh, I really hope you enjoy it. If you want to check out Truth Corroded, go to truthcorroded.com. Um, they've also got a band camp page as well, which I can never get those URLs correct, but it's something like truthcorroded.bandcamp.com, something maybe. But you can check out all the links in the show notes at andysocial.net. Give it a shot. It's it's on the heavier end of, uh, of metal. Um, but uh, I know there's a lot of you guys out there that love that stuff. I love it. I'm a massive Truth Corroded fan. Um, I'm always fanboying about uh, the, the new album whenever it comes out each year and um, it's really, really cool. So um, anyway, enough rambling. Thanks so much for hanging in there and being so patient. And if you did fast forward, then uh, that's okay. I'll forgive you. But uh, enjoy this chat with Jason North. Cheers, guys. Well, I guess first of all, was it thumbs up or thumbs down for 2016? Ah, it's always a thumbs up for me, man. I always enjoy myself. So, you know, you, you, you always got to enjoy the good things and not worry about the bad things. My, that's my take on things. So. You're a bit of an optimist. <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Sometimes I'm a bit of a pessimist. But, yeah, you, you always got to look at the, the better things in life. I'm, I'm still alive, so that's the main thing. <laughs> well, I guess when it all boils down to it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there any highlights at all? I don't know. It's, it's, I guess going overseas again was good. Even it was a quick, quick visit. With a, with, we always have a good time. We go away. Um, I know I got the yeah. I went away with the Deftones and you know, one of my favourite bands, and there was good guys and looked after me and Cass. So we had a good time with them. And um, yeah, of course, uh, getting, getting the new album done, sort sort of finished, it was good. Still working on it now, but that was a good highlight. So yeah, a few things. We we're as busy band wise, but yeah, lots of other stuff happening behind the scenes as usual. So well, that was a busy year. Good. Busy year indeed. Um, so you went over, where'd you go, Asia, at the end of the year? Yeah, we just did uh, three shows. We did like a, a show in Hong Kong, uh, like a headline show in Hong Kong, and then um, played a festival called Heart Town or Here Town. We're not too sure what the, <laughs> the right pronunciation on that one was. But yeah, um, that was like in a city called Taichung, which is just outside of Taipei. And it was 
a few thousand people there, but it, unfortunately it rained all day, but the festival itself was great. We got looked after and got a few friends in Taiwan and made some new ones, as you do when you play those sort of places. And then, um, yeah, just another headline show in a, a city down the bottom of Taipei called Kaohsiung, where no one really plays. And one of those shows when you're playing, you don't really know what to expect. So, um, you know, no one really plays there, but it's, it's a very quiet city, a huge city, but just really quiet for an Asian city. Mm. And um, yeah, well, went, went really good actually. Like sold all our merch there, and the crowd got into it, and you know, probably head back there again. You know, it's, it's always good. You know, you when you place you've never been to, and you kind of do really well, and you you feel like you can go back there and play again, which is always good. Yeah, definitely. And actually, while um, you mentioned Taiwan before, what's up with those um, really crazy show posters that were popping up on Facebook for for that show in Taiwan? <laughs> <laughs> I saw yeah. like one with a monkey, and there was some random dude bent over and. <laughs> And beers in the background. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. We actually met the guy that did those poses. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. We're like going, what's the deal with this? And he explained each shot to us. There was like a shot of like a couple of monkeys. It looked like they were rutting in, in the photo to us. But uh, it's like a, there's like a mountain in that in that city called it's called Monkey Mountain. And you go up there and it's where all the monkeys live. So that was the reasoning for that. The beer was... Um, there's a Taiwan, their, their national beer is called Taiwan beer, but just the, in that city they have a special sort of beer called 18 Days, and it's like the fresh beer, and after 18 days they've got to get rid of it, so it's like the freshest beer you can get there, and it's actually really nice, so that was the reason for that. And then the guy behind us was actually, he put himself behind us because he's the guy doing the Photoshop, so... <laughs> 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 so we actually reenacted that photo after the gig. Like we've got to redo this photo. So I've got that sitting somewhere on my hard drive. We have re- recreated that photo for him. <laughs> I think um, I think a few uh, local promoters in Australia probably need to take a note out of his book because um, they certainly got everyone talking, even people that weren't even in the country. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, because we're just like, what's with the monkeys? And then, yeah, the other one was like some monument which is called Tiger and Tiger and Dragon Tower, which we end up going to. So. But, um, yeah, that was the other one. So it was quite strange at first. But once we, we met the guy, we, we, we worked it all out. We're like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, oh, I hope you're okay. They were like, no, it was awesome. <laughs> we liked the different sort of angle you took because it was better than the usual. <laughs> look at look how tough we look in the alleyway photo. So. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I think, um, I wonder if it's a case that all the locals there are just used to his crazy posters. He does it every time there's a band coming through and just, like, puts his own ridiculous spin on a on a show. <laughs> It's just, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe like collector series, and everyone in, in Kaohsiung collects his his artwork. So hopefully, um, <laughs> people have got that. But I, but but I've made a, I've got all five stored away in my hard drive for future reference. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how many how many times have you been to Asia now, overall? Uh, for demand, yeah, um, oh, a lot. We've done. Let's see if I remember this. Uh, Hong Kong. That was our fifth show in Hong Kong. So five times in Hong Kong. Uh, second time to Taiwan. Uh, we've done China three times. We did Japan three times. The first time was with you guys, as you know. Um, uh, and then think Southeast Asia, say Singapore, Thailand would be maybe three or four times and Vietnam once. I thought, yeah, I think that's all the places we've played in Asia. I'm probably missing. Oh, South Korea as well. We did South Korea. Yep. Yeah. So, that's really good for us, actually. We meet a lot of good people. We've met a lot of good promoters. And the shows, have, yeah, you probably nine times out of ten do really well over there. So the crowd's pretty hungry. And they're pretty um, appreciative that bands 
come over there. Like when we first started playing, I don't think anyone did Southeast Asia, not as far as Australian heavy bands anyway, yeah. before we did it in like 2007, I think the first time we played there. And um, now now you look at that region, you know, they're getting all the big tours, you know, you've got stuff like Hamasonic happening there and Pulp, you know, big festivals and you've got you know, bands like Metallica are heading there now for the first time, so... You know, the region, like Australia was in the early 90s, there was nothing here, late 80s, early 90s, and now it's, you're getting you know, hundreds of bands playing, and now it's just turned into a, another great region for bands to tour. So. Well, you're probably one of the only, well, I, c- I can't think of another, well, probably heavy Aussie band that's toured all through that region, and region's a very vague sort of term because, you know, you're talking about Asia in general, but, like, there, I don't think there's any other bands that have done as much sort of across all those countries than you guys. So I, there's bands that have come after you guys and have started to pick some of those places, but um, you guys have, I mean, the amount of times that you've been to all these places and probably covered more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I, I do see a lot of bands now, like a lot of Australian bands are hitting them up and, and, and going back there because they've realised that it's a good place to play. You know, um, I think Japan was always, you know, yourselves and that were played there before we did and a lot of Australian bands do and it's always been like a, a region I think that any band would love to play Japan. It just has that mystery about it and everyone's known it from the early days of metal. You know, you see all these Iron Maiden videos in Japan and all that sort of stuff. So Japan was was a bit different, but places like um, China and stuff like that was just unheard of to play those places. I remember, I think we were one of the first Australian bands to ever play China as far as I was told. I know we beat Kylie Minogue by like a week. So, um, <laughs> we played we played China, we played Beijing with... Um, Behemoth, and we got like six hundred, and I think Kyle and I got like like sixty thousand. So you know, <laughs> we we almost did as good as her. <laughs> well, at least you can claim. But, 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 at least you can claim you got in there first. That's it. We beat Kyle or something. <laughs> it's um, it's insane though, because when you think about how many people are spread across all those countries in that region, I mean, China alone is just insane, but. You know, all through Southeast Asia is just the population's insane, and extreme metal's obviously been probably the the front runners with you know popular style of music that's starting to really sort of creep through. But even now, like we see as a band, obviously we're playing completely different music to you guys, but we're getting all these underground like power metal fans popping up out of the woodwork from you know all through Southeast Asia, especially Indonesia. There's like this crazy cult halloween like fan club or whatever and there's and halloween i saw halloween played there last year or the year before or something and they played outdoors and it looked like there's about ten thousand people there it was insane so i think i think you know obviously the extreme metal bands have started to get in there and lay a lot of that groundwork and now other bands are starting to wake up to it but um i always sort of looked at it as oh well there's just a lot of a lot of extreme metal fans there, a lot of death metal fans and, and grind and whatnot and hardcore. And um, But uh, I think, you know, it's like anywhere. You've got population, you're going to have diversity with uh, with music taste as well. But it's just insane that it's only just sort of opening up now, so there's so much opportunity. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah, we, we saw, you know, you always hear that the, 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 the slam death metal and the deathcore stuff is what's huge. Like in a place like Indonesia, you know, you, you see the crowds that they get for their local festivals is like, Twenty to thirty thousand people, you know, which is awesome. But as much as, much as people love that sort of music, there's always going to be other people that like your thrash medals or your power medals, you know. And, and you got bands. I think everyone likes stuff like Maiden and Priest and bands like that. So they're going to be huge. So I think it's just a huge market that was pretty much untapped for a long time. And now, you know, not just Australian bands, but bands worldwide have 
fully cotton on to that. You know, it's just proof like the, the fest was like Hammersonic now when they're getting headliners like Megadeth and all those bands playing and Slayer and all those bands are playing those regions. It just shows, it's just a testament to the fan base that 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 the Asian region and especially the Southeast Asian region has for, for metal. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of um, uh, probably myths over the years about what to expect if you go over there and play. And I think you guys probably experienced a lot of it firsthand. We only got a taste of it when we played uh, probably in Malaysia years ago, but um, you know we, we played in Japan so many times over the years. And you go to Japan as when we play with you guys and everything's like pro equipment, Pro venue, tiny venue, but you know you've got you've got a stage set up that's like you know a thousand capacity room when you're playing in like a hundred and fifty to two hundred capacity room. You know you've got stage yeah. hands, you've got everybody that's everything. There's running sheets, everything is completely streamlined, and everyone's communicating, and there's just no surprises whatsoever. Well, then for us on the pol- polar opposite end, is we go to Malaysia, and you don't even know if there's going to be gear there. You rock up, and there's no PA set up. You know, the promoter doesn't even rock up sometimes. You know, then you find out that, uh, you know, they changed the door charge or there's no door charge now or um, there's just – it's almost like a wild card and it's just this this element of surprise and you don't know what to expect when you rock up to some of these places. And I assume, like, for you going through China and through parts of Southeast Asia and, and whatnot, you would have seen a lot of those scenarios initially where you sort of went, oh, God, what, what the hell have we walked into? <laughs> Oh, definitely, definitely. Like you say about, you know, Japan, the, the venues there are just incredible. You, you get like, you know, it's all run regimental. Like you play there, you, everyone gets a sound check. You, you set time and sound check. Everything runs perfect. There's about 50 staff there just looking after all your gear that they're pretty much adjusting everything. Everything's run by iPads and it's like the most amazing thing. And then, um, the opposite, the complete opposite of that when we played Vietnam. I don't think many bands would have played Vietnam. I think Contrive played it before we did. We just had no idea what to expect. We got contacted by a promoter who was like, oh, I've just moved here. I used to do shows for like Testament and Sadus and stuff like that. And I really want you guys to play because you're playing Bangkok like two nights before. So would you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. So we worked out what, what we needed and what the deal would be and that. And it was awesome. We went to uh, Ho Chi Minh City, went to the venue. And the venue was really nice, like a nice little venue. And um, they're like, oh, this is your back line. And it was... Like a couple of like twenty watt gorilla amps, um, like this two piece drum kit, <laughs> and the bar, the drum stool was like a bench, like a yeah. So a drummer had to play on a bench, which is awesome. The, the mixing guy really hadn't done much mixing. He was like, oh, I haven't done many bands, but we'll see how we go. And um, the opening band was like a, a covers band with a couple of young dudes and obviously their dad and their dad would just like do like six minute solos in each song. They'd do something like a Brian Adams song with would it have right. like a seven minute guitar solo and the dude just wailing like Eddie Van Halen over this whole song. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> but then they busted into something like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers soundtrack and oh, it was wow. just really weird. The crowd, The crowd there was like, a bit of a mix, but before we went on, there was like a lot more metal dudes. There's a few tourists there, but it's not, it wasn't heavily full of tourists. There was a lot of locals, but it, yeah, it went crazy. Like the circle pits and walls of death was like even like a little punch up and some disgruntled local, local didn't understand, you know, the crowd getting into it. He thought they were fighting, so he wanted to get in a fight. And- <laughs> It was always really crazy nice. It's fully packed. Like, it, you know, when you look back at it and go, that was awesome. Love playing Vietnam. Definitely want to go back there. So, and through that one show, we've now been, you know, met other promoters in different regions of Vietnam. We want to bring, want to bring us back. So, yeah. But that is definitely the other side to, say, a Japanese venue where it's perfect. You know, as you said, underground bunkers where the sound is immaculate, stuff like that. But we've also played venues in Thailand where the drum kit has been welded to the floor so you couldn't even move anything. <laughs> 
which has been you know, a bit of a challenge. Or there's like just you know bar stools on on the stage. We played one place in China. There was a motorbike parked on stage, and we had to like pretty much force these people to move this motorbike because they just left on the stage as we were sound checking, <laughs> which is always exciting. It's um it's pretty amazing because you you just I mean as you said like you can rock you can rock up to a venue and it's just any number of things that are not there or could go wrong or have gone wrong straight away. But, you know, nine times out of ten, once you're up there and you're playing with a two-piece drum kit or God knows what sort of amps or if there's any amps at all or whatnot, um, usually most of the time it, it, it ends up being a good show because you've just got the energy of the crowd there, even if you sound like shit on stage. It usually <laughs> yeah. it usually gets you over the line in the end. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, it's, it's either like those shows that start off a disaster end up being pretty good, like, you know, all good. You're enjoying because cause you're not expecting much. Like, your expectations get lowered so much and bad stuff happens. So you're like, oh, whatever. But, you know, in the end, they turn out crazy. I mean, we played a show in Guangzhou in China the first time we went there. And, you know, the population's like 16 million in that city. And we're like, oh, you know, who knows? And the promoter's like, oh, there might not be any people. We said, we went there for sound check and it was just full of like people dressed in like, you know, shirts and blacks, like business looking and people and, and a whole bunch of like students. And then this opening band just played like, um, Oasis covers and stuff like that, like a lot of drip pop sort of stuff. And um, we're like, oh, this is going to be... And everyone was sitting down at tables were like, this is weird. But then the local band went on. They were sort of like a doom metal band you know, from China, which was kind of crazy to see. And then the crowd sort of warmed up. And then the opening, the, our friends, Bellion from Singapore, were doing a tour. They went on and it just got, got a little bit more nuts. And then and we went on and just absolutely went out of control. Like there was a place only held like 200, but I reckon they had about 400 people in there. There was like three blackouts during our set. And, <laughs> It was just one of those really crazy shows that, like, we started out going, oh, this is going to suck, but it turned out to probably be in one of my top ten shows or ever, you know, just because the expectation was not there at first, but then it was just taken to the top. It was great. Did you have any um, any experiences with, uh, i trying to think the right word, I was going to say dodgy, but, like, shady promoters or anybody, like, venue uh, managers or anyone like along the way in any of the countries? Um, no, we've been pretty lucky that way. We've usually dealt with people we've got to know before we've been over there. There's been a couple of in small incidents. Just, uh, we've, we've learned for years of doing it, just uh, when you book shows, you just let them know what you're sort of looking for. Yeah, for years of doing it, we've got to know pretty much what we think are the right people to know in each re- each region. So we kind of just work with them. Bit of trial and error over the years to, to get you to a point where you are now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the more shows we do, we... Especially when you play like the bigger shows, the promoters look after you great over there. Actually, like it's different. You know, if you're playing, say, a support in Australia, you you get nothing from the venue. But if you're supporting a band over there, like a bigger band, you still get looked after just as well as a bigger band. It's, it's crazy. There it's, it's seems to be a bit more respect just for every band in general. Doesn't matter where you're on the bill in Asia, you seem to get looked after really well. Do you need to take a different approach with like? I mean, you guys have played Europe and done support tours through Europe and whatnot, or even back home comparing to Asia, do you have to approach Asia completely differently? Like when, you know, I'm just thinking of other bands that have, like once we went over there a couple of times, uh, well, doing Southeast Asia for the first time and then obviously we've been in Japan a bunch, always get hit up by guys going, oh, I'd love to go over there, what, you know, what should we do or who should we talk to and whatever. But always, always kind of look at it. I mean, Japan's different in itself. It's just a, I wouldn't even class it as anything similar to anywhere else in Asia, but I always get the feeling that you really need to approach booking in that region completely different to as you would, you know, in the Western world or back home or whatnot. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, it's, it's 
because when we go to Asia, I guess we're like doing the majority of the shows we play are headlining shows, unless we're trying to get on a festival or supporting a, a band that is more known than us or a bigger band than us. So, but um, yeah, uh, Greg, who's based out the Truth Grown and runs True Think, uh, yeah, he he does a lot of the booking stuff. So, but we definitely, you know, as you approach it as a headline band, you kind of make sure you're trying to get a bit more out of it. The Australian shows, you can only get. So much, you know, I mean, you can't, you're not going to go, oh, we want all this as a rider, we want to be staying in hotels and all that sort of stuff. So when you're traveling overseas, you kind of look for that sort of stuff, especially if you're the headlining band, you're like, well, you know, we, we need to make sure there's transport from the airport and, you know, we've got to make sure there's some sort of accommodation and all that sort of, and the back line's looked after because, you know, we can't bring our whole back line with us because it just costs us ridiculous amounts of money. So it's just working out those things with promoters, making sure the back line's there and all that sort of stuff, really. So I guess with some of the smaller bands, they probably... Oh, we've we've also done it as well years and years ago. We you just rock up somewhere and assume that everyone would know what they're talking about and they and know what the bare minimum of expectation is and get pleasant well not pleasantly, but you get uh, extremely shocked and agitated when you find out there's just nothing there or, you know, things that you would think would be expected, such as gear, like equipment, amplifiers and, and whatnot, just are just not there. So it's I for me, anyway, just looking at it, I would assume that you probably just have to spell things out. But you should be doing that anyway, no matter where you play. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. You should always, before you get to a venue, you should pretty much know what you're getting because if you don't, you're going to turn up and then you can end up with a drum kit world to the floor, I guess, like we did. <laughs> or a bench for a drum stool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It always seems our drummer gets the worst end of the stick. Though. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. He deserves it by the looks of it. Yeah, he deserves everything he gets. <laughs> he cops it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shift from Asia in a second, but there's one thing that I've you've told me this years ago, well not too long ago, but um, there's a story that you've told a couple of times about when you guys, I think it was in Osaka. You want to tell that story because I thought you've well, I've got to document this. <laughs> well, it was the uh, the second time we played Japan, so the first time, as you know, we supported you guys, which was awesome. We had a, we had a good time, but yeah. um, we got to go back and play some headline shows the second time. Um, and the first show was in Osaka and. We thought, let's just get there, you know, a few days early to so, you know, you can fly in Japan, you want to see as much of that place as possible, so we thought we'd fly in pretty early. Uh, yeah, we landed in Osaka, I think it was about maybe six, seven o'clock at night, I think it was. Mm. Um, so by the time we got our gear and we met the local motor who met us on the train with, I think it was like a half, half, a, half a slab of Asahi or something, so, you know, the night already started out, so <laughs> we started drinking on the train, uh, as you do, and then um, we went to our little one-bedroom little hotel things I think you actually ended up staying in the same place we did when you went back there or something I think yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but, so this is like a, a small place pretty cheap for Japan but still you know decent decent little rooms but we stayed there um, and the area is sort of like the slum area of, of Osaka I guess you'd probably not not yeah. slum probably not but you know probably not the best area to be staying but Tom we got to a hotel and we, we checked in and stuff it was like no, 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 9.30 at night we're like oh we should go out tonight you know we've had a couple of beers and, and it was just the band just the five of us by that time uh, so we went looking for somewhere to eat uh, and across from us was like sort of like a big market area which was just all shutting down it's a few restaurants so we went into one of these restaurants and um just you know, ordered some food and a uh, guitarist at the time ordered some uh, chicken penis. So we we started eating this chicken penis, you know. So just just you know, trying it out as, as you do <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> we had a few beers and we're just looking for something. Else. And that place was closing. I think it was about ten thirty. So I was wandering around this area, just looking for something to do. And um, yeah, we found this bar just down this road. So we went into this bar 
and it looked like a really nice place. It was, it was a pretty good place, and there's a uh, Japanese. They're all like wearing the traditional uh, kimonos and stuff. And, um, and there's a guy at the bar who sort of looked a bit like George Costanza from Seinfeld. <laughs> um, and then um, we were in there, so we sat down with a drink, and the guy came out. He's like, oh, "Hello, welcome to you know my bar." He's like, "Yeah, you guys want some beers?" Well, like, yeah, yeah, give us some beers. So we just started drinking, and then he comes out. Goes, "Oh, you guys want to order some sushi?" We're like. Uh, oh, we kind of just ate. You're like, no, no, I have the best sushi in, in Japan. We're like, oh, okay, I'm pretty sure everyone says that, but okay. <laughs> but like, oh, I didn't want to say no, you know, because he was being pretty nice to us. So yeah, we ordered this. And he brought out this massive tray of sushi. It would have been like maybe a meter long of just all this sushi. It was just like, oh my God, we're like, this is going to cost us a shitload. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Like, we didn't want to start blowing all our money, like, you know, because we just had no idea how much this cost. We wanted to be cheap. But mm. they're like, all right, we'll start eating. So we were having a few drinks and eating the sushi. The guy looked, looked like George Costanza's just staring at us. And um, our best mate, our bandmate Tristan, who, uh, you know, passed away. So RIP Trizzy, he was with us. And, um, <laughs> Trizzy was like, oh, look at that dude, man. It's like George, George Costanza. And we're like, yeah, yeah. So Trizzy just starts doing a few George Costanza things at this dude. And the dude's just like laughing at us, like, ah, And he turns around and goes, oh, you eat this? And gives us a big jar of, like, I don't know, pickled squid or something. He's like, you must eat this. So, like, ah, oh, okay, as you do. You know, you got to eat what the locals give you. So he started eating this tentacled stuff. And then out of the blue, the dude, the, the, the guy that owned the bar, just stands next to him and just pulls out this, like, I reckon it's like a little revolver pistol or something, you know, like a, like a six shooter gun. And he's like, ah, look at my gun. I am the Japanese Jack Bauer. We're like, what? <laughs> and he's got this gun like right between my head and Tristan's head. And he's like, going, yeah. And he's like pulling the trigger. And not, not, like he, we, we didn't think there's any bullets. And he's like, ah, I am Jack Bauer. And he's like firing off this gun into the air, like, you know, <laughs> Jack Bauer. We're just like, we have got to get out of here, man. Like, this is just. Who knows how much this sushi's cost? The guy's got a gun. He's, like, pretty much pulling the trigger at us, like, we have got to get out of here. Um, he starts, like, putting bullets in the gun. We're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's time to leave. So we just go, oh, look, can we just get the bill? We're going to leave. He goes, no, no, you must stay. You must stay for more drinks and finish your food. We're like, no, no, it's, it's, we're just going to go. And so he gives us the bill. And literally, it was about ten dollars Australian each. So we were like, "Ah, stuff it, let's stay, let's keep drinking." As you do. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's logic for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, the gun, who cares? It's cheap drinks and food, let's stay. So, so and he was like, "Oh, you stay, let's get some more drinks." And then, then he brings out this M16 machine gun, oh. and I was like, "Like, what are you doing?" And he's like, "I am Jack Bauer," and he's just like yelling this stuff at us, like, "Oh my god!" Like. Oh, uh, just yeah, we're like, we've got to get out of here. So as we're leaving, he go, he turns to us and he goes like, oh, you, you, you guys, you must leave. You can buy my waitresses. We're like, no, no, it's all right. We don't want to buy your waitresses, it's all right. And then he turned around to Jonesy, and you remember Jonesy, right? Yeah, uh, Mr. Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he turns around to Jonesy and goes, ah, oh, you must buy my waiter to Jonesy. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> he, he picked him straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, out of the blue, he knew Jonesy was the one. So, <laughs> so we paid the guy and we walked out of that place just going, what happened in there? And that was all in the space for probably about 40 minutes. You know? <laughs> so, That's so by that time, I think, by that time, it was about 11.30 and we just found another bar and it just kind of got more and more out of hand, like louder and louder. And we got kicked out of a couple of bars and we ended up rolling in the hedges of Osaka wrestling each other and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> 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 all these typical Japanese stories. That, you know, and that was like that very first night. 
when it will happen in the space of about three hours. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> welcome back to Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a good time in that place, you know. Yeah. You, it's a good place to let your hair down, especially with the locals. When the locals are partying, as you know, they're, they're great to party with. Oh, yeah. They, they, they're out of control. So. We've, had, we've had some of the best nights ever there, especially when oh, I haven't really noticed it where we played elsewhere in Asia, but in Japan they'll always have those show, the shows really early and then go and have dinner afterwards. So you'd be, you know, by 10 o'clock or 10.30, you're, you're already at a restaurant sinking beers and, and having this massive after party. And every night it was the same thing. I mean, we, we did that the first time in, in Japan. It was just uh, just crazy. But uh, these guys, I mean, you know, within two drinks, red in the face, and they start like dancing all over the place or trying to do <laughs> handstands. And actually there's one where we, I, I don't remember what city it was, I've still got video. I think there's some video floating around on YouTube. And there's one guy, and it was his birthday, and he got a toothpick and stabbed it into his forehead and then lit the end of the, to- <laughs> lit the, end of the toothpick on fire so-, so he was a birthday cake and everyone sung happy birthday. And I was just-, <laughs> just looking around going, oh, really? Okay, no worries. Well, I better film this one. <laughs> oh, but that, that place in Osaka where you guys stayed and we stayed a couple of times, it's like, as you said, like, and probably not the right word, slum area, but it's, it is like a dodgy area. And I remember, um, yeah, I remember friends in Japan were saying, oh, yeah, you've got to be really careful. Yeah, it's not a nice area, whatnot. But if you compare that to a ship area in, say, Adelaide or Sydney or Melbourne or whatever, it'd be, it'd be nothing. There's no comparison whatsoever. You could, st- yeah. you can still walk down the streets. There's no, there's hardly any graffiti around, if anything at all. There's, there's very little sort of dodgy activity, at least out in the streets anyway, that's sort of visible. Um, you, you see a few sort of, you know, I guess derelicts walking around and whatnot, but uh, overall, I mean, it's, it's just like anywhere else in the city, it's just not as many people. And I guess that's probably what makes yeah. it, can potentially make it dangerous because it's a bit quieter. But um, I remember walking past one tiny little bar, a couple of a couple of little streets over from the hotel, and it was on the main drag, and they had a little curtain hanging down over the entrance, so it was sort of like a, you know, you had to move the curtain to walk into the into the bar yeah. itself. It was a little tiny bar, and I remember one, like I kept walking past there, going, oh, that looks so cool. I, you know, we should go in there sometime. But it was so tiny, it just looked like a locals bar. Like you just you couldn't rock up with five or six big long head Caucasian guys and start start asking for beers because you know that they're not going to be impressed. One day I walked past and the curtains were open and I looked in and Japanese people don't scare me. I've never been, I'd never felt intimidated, but that one time yep. I looked in there and the guys in there, a couple of them looked over and looked straight at me and I was by myself and I went, fuck that. And I just kept walking, and all I thought was, "This is Yakuza territory for sure. Like, this is this is yeah. not a place to be hanging out by myself, especially when I stand out with this long blonde hair, <laughs> Caucasian yeah. features." Yeah. Well, that thing in there. Uh, also, yeah, I've got to mention in the, in the story of the machine gun. The George Costanza guy, when he was <laughs> sharing a drink, I was took off his uh, kimono, and yeah, he was like a uh, full Yakuza head to toe. Uh, tattoos, so tattoos, we're yeah, like, yeah. oh, we're like, okay, George Costanza is in the Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> and we're there, like, laughing at the guy. <laughs> like, yeah, we're pretty much gonna die. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, you, you laugh, you laugh. Here, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your laughs quickly turned to tears. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, that that area is probably the only place in Japan where I've seen some pretty sort of shady people walking around. Even at the train station, I remember seeing a guy who just looked like a, a Japanese Yakuza slash pimp. And he had this yeah. really, really young girl dressed in like this skimpy sort of skimpy outfit. And he was he was holding her by the back of the neck at the train station. This is the middle of the day, broad daylight, yep. and there's people around him, you know, 
business attire and whatever. And he was standing there and he looked wasted and he had her by the back of her neck and she sort of was keeping like the sort of poker face, just straight face. And he was looking at people, but he's sort of, you know, when someone's really drunk and they're trying to make eye contact with somebody, someone who's a bit aggressive, he's just standing there holding this girl by the back of the neck and then just throwing his head around, trying to make eye contact with people. And I'm just sitting there by myself at the platform going, oh, just keep my head down, keep my head down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, But it's just, I mean, it's so weird because anywhere else, I mean, uh, no doubt there's, you know, just as dodgy or, you know, more dangerous places in in every city in Japan. But um, we're just, I guess we've been lucky enough to be in that that area. I mean, Shinjuku can be a bit like that in Tokyo, but... Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, actually, I know you weren't there. It was a, it was a different tour when we were, dro- uh, we were staying in Shinjuku, and um, there was a guy. You've probably seen him before. There's a guy on all the posters in the Shinjuku area, and he's got um, he's got a really seedy mustache and uh, a bit of an afro, and he and he has two large poodles, and <laughs> and so he's in all these pictures. Like, uh, there's an advertisement for a business, and then his little picture of himself is in the bottom corner. Then there'll be big posters of him on on the corner of each little street. And then one day we're at the front of our hotel. I think would I think it must have been the following year because we came back with uh, we did the tour with Doro, and he came down the street in like a limousine and he got out and a few people like panicked and then they were trying to act all surprised and wanted to get a photo with him and he sort of got up out of the car, turned around, then got back in and kept driving. And I remember going to Maru, who you'd know, and said, yep. who, who is that? And he goes, oh, he's um, – first he said something like local celebrity, but then he said – he said something like, you know, don't – scary man, Shinjuku scary man or something like that. And I just went, oh, yep. right. And then I looked around and thought, oh, so this is like the local Yakuza, like, uh, you know, local council, you know, don't mess with him. He pretty much owns the majority of this area or whatever in Shinjuku. It was just really, yep. really weird. But um, – but then afterwards, when he drove away, Mara's like, oh, you're very lucky. You got to see him in person. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a run in um, in China in a city called Shenzhen, which is right on the border of Hong Kong. The very first time we played China, we uh, ended up having a few drinks after the show, just like at the, the local 7-Eleven, because as you know, in Asia, you can just drink beer wherever you want. So, mm. so we're having a few Heineken's. It was like me, Greg, and the original trick guitarist. Mark just sitting at the front just talking and this guy kept walking past an older guy he would walk past us every like minute and just stare at us we're like oh what the hell's going on with this dude and then he the sixth time he just stopped and just started talking like Chinese flat out for about three or four minutes straight up to us and we just looking at each other like what is this guy going on about we have no idea like we better ring our mixer who was who spoke Chinese like ring Kenny like Kenny Kenny you gotta come down here some dude is just yelling at us in Chinese he comes running down from the hotel and he's like what he talks to the guy he's talking to this guy for a good three or four minutes they're both just you know speaking fluent Chinese to each other and we're like what is going on he's like oh he just wanted to say hello. Well, like, he just wanted to say hello. He was like yelling at us for like five minutes because oh, that's the sort of person he is. And we met him, he shook his hand. And next, you know, he's on the phone and this guy turns up with this hot plate and like crates of like beer, like long neck beer, like, you know, 40 bottles of like long neck beer. The guy starts cooking for us, brings out all his food, just starts giving us all this weird food, like, you know, chicken knuckles and, you know, pig throat and just weird <laughs> stuff like that. I'm like, okay. He start talking a bit more and he's like, oh, I am the, like, the local importer, exporter of this area of Shenzhen. We're like, oh, he's like the drug dealer. He's like the mafia dude. So <laughs> it turns out that, yeah, it was the same deal. He owned this whole area and Greg got talking to him and, um, yeah, he was like, next time you come, you come and stay at my house. You know, I have a big house on the hills and um, all that. I control the ports and all of this stuff. <laughs> and 
by this time it was like seven in the morning, like it were pretty loud. Like there's about you know the rest of the band was there, and the, the band were touring with Berlin with us, and, uh, and it was getting a little bit out of control. And the few police turned up just to see what's going on, and he just yeah, you saw him go up to the cops, and he just started yelling at these police and just told them to leave, and they were left. And like, wow, this guy really is pretty. <laughs> he really is like the Chinese mafia or something. We're like, the, what the, is going on? Like, if the cops can't control it, then you know you. Yeah, yeah, jeez. Yeah. Wow. So that was cool. So we met this guy. We never, we never, when we went back, we haven't been back to Shenzhen actually. So maybe next time we can hook him up and see if see if he's still around. <laughs> see, see, see if he's up for a party. <laughs> That's it. So, because he said, like, you know, he's always up for it. So, we'll see what happens. I think you guys could write a book just on all the times yeah. you've been to Asia with all the different people you've you've had to uh, associate with or had to interact with over the years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as, as you said, we've been there a lot and we meet some great people, and it's always a good story. No matter, you know, I think any band can pretty much bring out some good stories once they start playing different places because yeah, you always meet some interesting people. No matter where you are in the world, there's always someone that's a, a little bit crazy or you do some crazy things when you've been drinking. So. But to me, it's always one of the best things about being in a band is the stories, the people you meet. It's always good times. No, for sure, for sure. I have to, I have to go and dig up those old YouTube videos and chuck them up online again, just because <laughs> um, yeah. there's some yeah good memories um, just of that year. What did you say, 2009? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. All right, so my next thing on my list here, because I've, I've actually put a bit of effort in this time as opposed to oh, okay. last episodes. I wrote some notes. I so I better think of something to, to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so according to Facebook, you're the vice chancellor of Truth Inc. Records. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, can I mean you mentioned before Greg? Greg runs a, a lot of it. How's it? How's it all structured between the two of you? Are, are you both sort of co-running it, or is it more of a Greg thing? Or what's what's the whole? Because obviously you guys have been. It appears that you guys have been a lot more active over the last couple of years. Is yeah. there, what what's it sort of look like at the moment as far as I guess comparing to to other sort of independent record labels? Uh, well, basically we started it. Um, it was just a means to probably get our own releases out and, and we started doing a couple of Adelaide stuff. But then, um, you know, Greg started, when he, he started working on a place like JB Hi-Fi, so he learned a lot more of the in and outs of the actual music industry, that side of sales and stuff. So we started working a bit closely with MGM, like Greg did. And yeah, it was just like, we're a very small independent label. We don't want to get too far ahead, so we don't really put too much stuff out. But we put out stuff like bands that we knew in Australia and that we liked working with. So, but yeah, Greg definitely is... The more of the business side of, of True Think Records, like he's always has been and does a great job. Well, I would be more, as I said, the whatever I call it on my Facebook page, vice chancellor, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> but I, I would do more of the, the background stuff, just like artwork and. Yeah, that's more of my thing, the artwork and all that sort of computer-based stuff for it. But yeah, Greg's more of the definite hands-on for Street Inc. Records. But uh, about a year and a half ago, we decided to branch it out a little bit more and get into management and just booking for bands that we would put on the label as well or other bands that wanted to sign with us. Um, and that was more of Greg's thing as well. But now Greg has moved on to working for EMG, which is uh, International Management Group. So mm. I've taken on more of... The management stuff of, of a lot of the bands because it's a bit of a conflict of interest with these other uh, EMG, but Greg still runs the record label side while I handle the management and then we both handle like the touring stuff. So, But, um, you know, me and Greg have known each other for an extremely long time, so we just work well together. We know what stuff's got to be done, so we just both do it. You know, Greg's a lot better of some stuff than, than what I am and I have more of the arty sort of skills for that stuff, so that's sort of where I handle it, you know. Is it a financially viable sort of setup that you guys have got or is it... 
because I always sort of look like for us, we, you know, we create our own little record label, but it's more of a, I think what you guys started off as something to self-release and put a name against, against the band. And, and I've, we sort of approached it as using it as a way to build our resources, build our connections and whatnot with different people and different, uh, different bands and different industry, um, people and whatnot. But, um, is it? I mean, when you guys like manage bands and provide different services and whatnot to release, is is it financially viable? I I mean, I assume you guys aren't making shitloads of money, but uh, is is it something that's sort of from a financial point of view something that's viable? Uh, not really at the moment. Like a lot of the money just goes back into stuff. We're not really make. We don't really charge the bands excessive amounts like some management. You know, but we we as we're sort of more based in Australia and we do help bands getting into Asia. Like we're, we're still filling it out for ourselves. We're not going to get charging exorbitant fees on bands to do the sort of stuff like what some management do. But as you said, it's we use it more as, as building a network and through that network we can start offering bands more and more things, you know. So it's, it's at its base at the moment, but it's building, it's just adding blocks here and here as we work along to add to what we can offer bands, I think, is, is what it is at the moment. So, And then, yeah, money, you know, all that stuff, like you've got like online stores and, you know, you've got to have all these music streaming things right available and you've got to pay for all that stuff once you start doing more than just your band when you're doing like a lot of bands you've got to put the costs of those things so you know it's not free anymore like we say say something like Bandcamp you can run your own Bandcamp for free but once you start adding you know 10-15 bands you, you can't you've got to start paying for that stuff you can't just get it for free anymore so you know it's just one thing that we all the money that we get from bands from booking their shows and stuff like that it just goes right back into it it, it always has like yeah. even even Truth grows as I'm sure of the Lord, you know, the money you get pretty much goes back into your next door, your release or whatever, isn't it? We're not doing it for financial gain, it's doing that just for the love of the music, really. Oh, that's it. I think I think that at least from our side, the the focus is always to just do whatever you can to minimize the loss. So Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you just you pump the money back in and if you're if you're breaking even, then fantastic. That's the best way, the best uh, scenario. But um, yeah, the, minimize the loss as much as possible because uh, yeah, if you, I, I just know so many people over the years that have gone into something and created a, a great band or a product, and um, expecting that they're going to be making a shitload of personal money split between the four guys in the band, and then six months later they break up because they realise that yeah. it's just, it just doesn't exist. It, it's not it's not the case whatsoever. Yeah, you, you you get to meet a few bands who really don't understand how it works and they're like, oh, yeah, we, we want to be like the next Parkway Drive. You're like, you just don't get it. You just don't understand. It's not <laughs> it's not easy. You know, people don't understand how much those guys work to get where they got. So it's like you've got to put in a lot of losses to get one gain, really, especially especially being a heavy band in Australia. If you're doing it for music, I'd say probably, I mean, doing it for money, I would just probably say quit now because you're not going to make any. <laughs> do, you, do you guys get hit up by a lot of bands? Yeah, we get a few. We get a few content. We just don't, as I said, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Like, because at the moment it's just me and Greg, and you know we both have full time jobs, and we're both in Troop Corroded, and then you know Greg has his uh, extreme management stuff as well. So there's only so much you can do for so many bands, and it just would be unfair to them if we just go, yeah, we'll sign you, we'll sign you, we'll sign you, and it's just it's just not who we are. It's people. We don't want to do that. So. Um, yeah, we we do get approached a lot. At the moment, we kind of go whose music we like and stuff. On who, when you get to talk to me, if they've got the right sort of mindset to to be with us, because you know, as I said, you meet plenty of people like, oh, we want to be like the next Parkway Drive in three months. You're like, well, 
you know, you're not obviously realistic, so you're going to be hard to work with. I think I think it was you, and you posted something a while back where you got approached by somebody, I think from Indonesia or something like that, that some really crazy out there request of, of getting wanting to be on, on the label or I, I could be completely wrong. I don't know if it was you, but do you get any crazy ones? Uh, I'm not sure if that was me, but we do get some pretty funny stuff, especially from places like, you know, Indonesia and, and that and that region. And, you know, they probably send it out to hundreds and hundreds of labels, you know, and it's just that we're just one of them that get the, the copy and paste entry. And you get, you get sent videos of guys just playing acoustic versions of Testament songs and stuff like, find me, I'll be big, I'll be like the next American Idol and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's great that these people are into it, but in the end, it's like, yeah, you know, that's funny, but... Yeah, we're definitely not going to sign you. No, <laughs> absolutely. I'd, I'd but then be... they turn out to be the next American Idol. Like, oh God, we're <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You need to um, you need to keep a Hall of Fame record of all those crazy ones that uh, that make contact. Yeah, it's um, yeah. It must have been it must have been Dyson or some, something like that that got an email through. It was I remember it, whoever it was. It was some. The, the email had come from somebody in Indonesia and they, and it was similar to what you said, they had a couple of really shonky looking YouTube videos where it was like some really bad playing with some crazy sort of effects over the video, some filters over the video or whatever. And it was just really, really poor. And he was sort of half singing, half deciding to stop singing and, and it was just, it was really, really weird. So it might have been Dyson, but he would have loved that. That's, if, yeah, if, yeah, that's probably just Dyson's usual email. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, I see you as a bit of an Adelaide heavy metal celebrity or a heavy metal, <laughs> or a, or a heavy metal kingpin. You're the, you're the Yakuza uh, figurehead in the Adelaide heavy, heavy music scene. <laughs> Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. There's a few. There's a few. There's a, yeah, a few de- people that do some de- stuff. Yeah, depends on who you talk to, I guess. So, I mean, you've been you, you born and bre- bred in Adelaide? Uh, no, I was born in England, but I moved to Adelaide when I was like six. So, yeah, yeah pretty much been here since yeah. I was yeah talking. Yeah. So, I mean, I've. I mean, I've only known you for. X amount of years, probably just before the, actually the year, probably 2007, 2008. And I think when we first came over and, and played a show and you helped hook, hook it up. But I mean, I've yep. always seen you as part of pretty much all the main sort of metal fests that happen in Adelaide. You appear to be sort of the primary booker for a lot of heavy music in Adelaide. So you've been a part of the scene for quite, I mean, there's, don't get me wrong, there's heaps of other guys that have come and gone and uh, yep. lots of people that are booking shows in Adelaide. But you seem to be one of the main guys that consistently has been there and been a point of contact for a lot of interstate bands over the years to, you know, check with you first before sort of making any decisions or if you're busy, <laughs> then then go to go to plan two or whatever it is, option two. Um, yeah. I've always seen Adelaide as sort of this up and down place, but um, for years I always thought Adelaide was just an absolute dead zone where you just, it wasn't even worth paying any money to get over there to play because you just weren't going to get a crowd. And when we first came yeah. over, and I think you put us on against the grain, you know, we were pleasantly surprised. And for quite a few years, we did we did really well in Adelaide. But um, you mentioned the other day that Adelaide's a little bit dead at the moment. What's What do you reckon the, the status is at the moment? Well, it's definitely, I think, like, it's definitely quietened down as far as attendance goes. There's a lot of bands in Adelaide, and um, there's not really many venues um, 
So recently we've been branching out and booking shows in different venues, just trying to find somewhere else. Like you've got your, you, you got Enigma Bar, which is, you know, it's pretty much the home of heavy music in Adelaide, but it's got to the point, it's like you just kind of want to branch out and play somewhere different. You, you just kind of, you feel like the punters are getting a little bit just sick of going to the same venue. So we've been trying to find somewhere new. We find a couple of places have been working out, but, um, yeah, just the crowds have been down. I, I, it's just, you know, I think it's the thing is like a, you do get a lot of internationals coming through now than you're used to, but it's also, I don't know, I just see it like everyone's in a band and not really many people go out to see other bands if they're in a band. If my band's not playing, I'm not going to go, and it's, it's kind of a sad thing, you know. But, you know, I'm probably guilty of it too nowadays that I'm probably a lot older than these younger bands, but I've, it's like, you know, you can only go see so many gigs that you still got to go out there and support bands because you want them to support your band. So it should be a give-and-take sort of deal, and I think that's one of the problems here. And also, there doesn't seem to be many young people coming out to shows. They all seem to be getting into, like, I don't know, EDM or something like that, I guess, because metal never really attracted too many girls to shows. All these young guys will go where the girls are. So Mm. I kind of see that as a problem. We used to have a really strong all-ages scene here. You could do, like, licensed all-ages, and it was the one thing that Adelaide had above probably any other state. You could do licensed all-ages shows, and you'd get, like, three or 400 people there. And you get like 150 kids underage just loving it, you know. But uh, it just faded away really fast. Like, well, I just seemed just died. Like, say, um, when you had bands like, uh, say, I Killed the Prong Queen that going around when they were getting huge, like, that scene was massive. And it's always been pretty popular here, the uh, metalcore stuff. But as far as metal, it just, yeah, the kids just stopped getting into it. It was just really hard. And I guess you got so many international bands going for the kids would just rather save their money and spend their eighty, ninety dollars seeing, you know, a trivium or something like that than as opposed to going to see a local a gig for like ten bucks. Yeah, it's weird. I remember years and oh probably ten years ago when we first went down to Tassie to play and there was only a couple of bands that had gone down there before us, you know, for, as far as sort of regular shows down there. They hardly had anything. So, you know, and obviously Psychroptic were down there. But apart from some of the local guys, I mean, very rarely were people going down there to play. And so they had a couple of setups that were similar to what Fowler's is, not on the same size, but as far as that sort of licensed all ages setup, or they had a separate, you know, you do an afternoon all ages show, then at night in the same venue, you do the over 18 gig. And, for whatever reason, at that particular point in time, they'd tapped into the kids that were in the last two years of high school and and getting ready to turn 18. And these guys are ready to party. And so they come out for the all ages shows and they try and sneak into the, to the over 18 show. And for the next couple of years, you got that wave of kids as that same group of kids that would come out because they were all still with the same circle of friends, they were, uh, yeah. you know, they were coming of age. And then when they hit 18, they were psyched. So they were psyched to come out. And, but then by the time they got to about 19 to, to 20, then they started fizzling out, you know, guys would move to the mainland or the social circles yeah. would break up just like anyone when you leave school. And it's, it's funny because I've said this to a few people, if you get lucky with that first wave of kids and they're coming through, it's really I mean, you have to try and work out a way to pass, almost pass that along to the next run that are, that are coming through after them, like that next that next two years of, of kids that are going to be coming through because it, it, in Tassie it, it happened. No one was there to sort of almost pass the torch, so to speak. And, there was yeah. a, and the big thing down there is you had like a band like Tabra and they were in that social circle. So a lot of kids would be coming out to support them because they all went to school together. But as soon as Tabra sort of got into their 20s, then all those people went away. 
So, but you had yeah. no younger bands coming through that were bringing the kids out from the schools. So I assume it's probably similar in other places around the country and same for Adelaide. When you don't have a yeah. lot of young bands that are still in high school, then it's hard to get, hard to get kids out. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely uh, a lack of newer bands coming through. You know, there's a little time there. You've got stuff like Alkira and that we're doing great now. But uh, mm-hmm. since then, there's not really a bunch of young... There's, there's always new bands and older people in the bands and stuff. All people that used to be in bands, making as, as you said, like young guys, a new band on the scene. Is, there isn't much of that in Australia, in, in, in Adelaide at the moment. You know, everyone knows the, the, the 19 or 22 year olds. They're the ones that are going to come out to see all the bands, they're the ones going to be down the front getting into the music, you know, but if they're not there, then it's getting a bit quiet here at the moment. It's, uh, but that being said, then you, you do a big, we do some of the big events here and they go really well, like, you know, the New Deads and Black Conjuration and those sort of shows, they get really big crowds because I think it's, I don't know, something about those events, it's like an all-day thing and everyone just come and hang out and I guess that's what more people seem to look forward to that sort of stuff than the, the local shows. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see what um, your breakdown of your age groups are for some of those bigger events because I always see you get sort of three stages of a crowd. You've got that sort of 18, 19, 20 sort of gap and then you've got the, the mid-20s and then you've got the sort of well, probably hitting 30 and above, and yeah. each stage gradually gets smaller and smaller as people, you know, get careers, they get wives, they get married, kids, etc. So the commitments all change and, you know, people can't maintain uh, a big nightlife or drinking culture, especially because yeah. a lot of them go pretty hard and yeah. uh, they disappear. But, um, I mean, for me, like I, I'm now two hours out of Sydney, so yeah. I'm sort of getting more selective about the shows I go to. So for me, I... I would be more gravitating towards those bigger events than yeah. just your standard sort of headline local show that's happening on a Friday or Saturday night. And I'll have to select those ones just to make sure I'm maximising my time when I when I do make the tre- trek up. So I assume that like the New Dead and what you had previously with Against the Grain, you'd probably find that, um, and I, I certainly saw it the, the years that, that we were there, where you did have that younger crowd, but a lot of them were sort of that sort of 30 30 to 40 or 30 to 50 group and they were the guys that were haven't been out for a few months and they're ready to rage and they're on the tinnies and they're and they're getting ready to have a have a big day a a big drink session and uh they've actually made they've dedicated the time to come out and they've got their wallets packed full of uh (laughs) full of 50s and they're ready to go yeah that's exactly yeah i guess yeah we have even a new day everyone likes it because it is an all day and it's now become like oh people can come in and just catch up with your mates you know what I mean it's like that day for it it's like you know what people it's like you know just a big day out in the sound way but on a smaller scale but it's the same mm. sort of deal oh, also I can see a bunch of bands I like and I can also see all my mates and I can just talk talk shit for fucking 12 hours you know so that's it and you guys have, um, over the years have, you're always getting obviously a lot of bands from interstate that come over and play play the events but I mean I've I've always noticed heaps of just music fans just travelling over just for, for a weekend on the piss just to go and catch up with people, especially, I mean, I've done it one year where, you know, I'm, I'm not playing, but uh, I've gone over just to just to rage for 24 hours and yeah. and, and just uh, catch up with people that are they're all in the in the one place at the one time. Oh, that's it, exactly. It's like, um, you know, it's all from back in the day when we had Mouth the Brain, which was like, you know, the best event Australia, like heavy music ever had, you know, was it? Yeah. A great event. You could just go there and hang out and see everyone you knew from the scene or your friends in that one area. You knew that everyone was going there that weekend, and it was great. So the deal was with Against the Grain, which then became the new deal. It was the same deal. It's like oh, Adelaide's a place that a lot of people were like, oh, I don't want to go to Adelaide, but 
Hobart, we try and make it. If you're going to go to Adelaide, you come for this festival, you know. So, um, yeah, so we definitely get, like this year we had so many people from the state. It was crazy. Like when I was originally selling tickets, it was, yeah, it was like probably every third ticket was someone from interstate. We had so many people from Victoria and Brisbane, like those two, and people from Perth and people from Darwin coming over for it. It was crazy. More more so than any other year this year, we had probably, I reckon, a quarter of the, probably not, probably not a quarter, but like one-fifth of the crowd would have been from interstate, I would say. Yeah, and that's, that's so cool because, I mean, you know, there's a couple of guys in Sydney that have been trying to get those things going. Um, you know, Dave Balfour's got your Steel, Steel Assassins thing yeah. that's about four or five years in now, and it's only just starting. I think last year was when he finally sort of got to that point where he's starting to see a, a large percentage of people making the trek from from Melbourne or Brisbane or, or wherever else. And and because people have just happened to be there, and what, what I've found is you'll have guys that play in like a band from Melbourne that go and play, have a great time, and then they decide, stuff this, I'm coming back next year, I don't care if I'm playing or not. And so those yeah. pe- those people make the trek over and then, you know, they bring some mates and whatever and it becomes this big social social get-together yeah. each year. So it's really, really cool. Yeah, it's definitely a word-of-mouth thing. I think, you know, every year you get more and more people because the people from the year before enjoyed it so much that they're telling, the, telling their friends or their friends in bands, like, you've got to get over, you've, you've either got to go to it or you've got to try and play it, you know what I mean? So it's definitely a word-of-mouth. And I think with any event, once they see that it's been done three or four times, they go, oh, okay, cool. It's obviously, you know, it's not like a one-off thing. It's not crap. It's obviously run really well and bands want to play it and you've... It just, I don't know, it just seems to solidify in your mind, like, okay, it's well-established, so I definitely want to be at this thing. It's not, it's not going to be like, oh, here I go, I'm going to turn up and the drum kit's welded to the stage and it's going to, you know, no one's going to be there. <laughs> I think I think someone's going to have to just do that again at a show. Like when you guys are touring or you, know, you come to Sydney next or whatever, we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll just get a sheet of metal on the instead of the drum, drum carpet and we'll just weld a, a shitty drum kit to it. <laughs> Poor Kieran will crack the shits. <laughs> We'll make it a prerequisite in our, in our rider. Yeah. Don't get musty welded to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> you see some green uh, local promoter just shit himself, go, oh, man, how the hell am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got, I've got four quick questions because oh, I'll wrap yep. it up when I'm looking at the time. So yep. given that you've pretty much lived in Adelaide the majority of your life, what's, what's good about Adelaide? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Adelaide's a good place. It's, it's, it's a lot more casual than most most of the cities in Australia. Um, people are pretty laid back here. I think if you come here for a weekend, you'll have a good time. Like, um, you know, it's, it's it definitely is a bit of a, a nanny state as far as a lot of things go. And you know, we we don't really have as a, a week night life. You know, what I mean, like so Monday to Thursday, if you're in Adelaide, you're pretty much going to be stuck with stuff to do. But Friday, Saturday is always good. You know, there's, there's a lot of good bands here. Good venues, good people, you know, it's good, good weather most of the time. So it's it. always good. All right. Well, you might be able to answer this next one a lot easier. What sucks about Adelaide? Uh, I think I said it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit, of a nanny, bit of a nanny state. Like, it's, yeah, you can't, there's not much to do here. It's, it's the problem. But, but it, it, as I said, it, it's a lot more open and you get around a lot easier. You know, you, I like Sydney where it's congestion and, you know, you're stuck in traffic ever. So, you know, for that reason, it's good. Yeah, as I said, the people here are really good, and yeah. you know, I mean, I've enjoyed living here. But um, you know, I've, I've got to see other cities around the world and go, wow, that's that's crazy. You know, a place like Hong Kong, you know, being in Chinese New Year, there's like three million people on the street, and it's like, <laughs> wow. That's, I'm, I'm glad I don't live in that sort of crazy population twenty four seven. You know, it's always good to have a bit of breathing space. That's a bit of a, a polar opposite to North Terrace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so, well, on that note, would you ever live anywhere else? Um, yeah. Uh, see, I, by saying that about Hong Kong, I actually really do like Hong Kong. I, I, I love that city. I've been there with the band and just on holidays like nearly 10 times now. I, I have a great time in that city. I've got to know the way around it and there's some great people. So, you know, I'd probably live there, but the... The way you live there, though, is the one thing that turns me off because you can, it's just so expensive to live there. You'd need to be a millionaire to actually you know, have a decent enough place or live hundreds of kilometres out in some sort of room. You know, the houses we have here in Australia you know, are t- so much bigger than that in a lot of the places in Asia. So we, we're very lucky here by what we have as far as living standards and stuff. So it's the same as Bangkok. I, I'd love to live in Bangkok. I really like the crazy cities. I don't know, I like the chaos around me, but I also like to be able to retreat from the chaos and hide. So I think as far as Australia goes, oh, you know, Brisbane is a great place. I really like Brisbane. Got some good friends up there, and I know I like the climate and the people. And it sort of reminds me in Adelaide and the music scene. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of varied music in Brisbane and stuff, which is good. And there's always some good bands. So Brisbane would probably be the one place I would move to in Australia if I if I had to move. Yeah, yeah. I've always compared Adelaide, especially when we started coming down there and playing some really good shows. I always compared, well, it was Adelaide and Brisbane that were always at the top of the list as far as good shows and good lineups of bands and turnouts and, and whatever. And yeah, there's a very similar aspects to both scenes in, in ways because they can both be fantastic. And in other times they can be absolutely dead depending on, yeah. depending on the circumstances. And it's, it's very much, um, I see them both as sort of like social cities where, like, you know, if you compare it to Melbourne, Melbourne's just got, it's got a social culture. Like it's just, you're, you're born and bred to, to go out and, and uh, experience things and have a bit of a nightlife and whatnot. Whereas yeah. in Adelaide and Brisbane, you really need that social circle there of people and friends. And that's what gets you out of the house. And if your friends aren't out, then you don't go out. And it seems to be, yeah. seems to be the case in both cities. But when they're, when they're all out, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, it's pretty much, you know, you get on there as far as Adelaide goes. It's, it's a very social scene. So, yeah, Melbourne, if Melbourne was just night you know, twenty four seven. It was just night, and you had like thousands of money to spend. It'd be like the perfect place for to live because you can just party twenty four seven in that city. <laughs> you can see bands every every night of the week, and it's great. You know, but unfortunately, you know, it's not. And very many, very few people have the money to go party their whole life. So, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, last question. Uh, plans for this year for two thousand seventeen. So for Truth Corroded, True Think, The New Dead, any Ding. Tang Fung adventures at all, or uh, yeah, well, okay. So, Truth Corroded, we are um, in, in the middle of finishing off the new album, so we're just going we're going to get that finished, all tracked by the end of February, then sent off the mix, and hopefully get it out probably uh, the way it's looking. I'd say mid mid two thousand seventy, maybe you know somewhere between May and August. I'm mm-hmm. hoping uh, once that's out, yeah, try and. Uh, get a, get to as many places as possible, and that you know that sort of two year uh, time frame you give yourselves when the album's done. You know, so um, there's been talk of getting back to Europe and places like that, and maybe trying to get over to the states. Uh, we get offered a few runs in the states, but financially, it's just doesn't work for us because I said we're not a 24-7 band we've all got mm. jobs to pay for stuff so um, you know for mad mad respect to any bands that can sustain doing the band 24-7 but we're just not at that point or you know as we're a bit older than some of the younger bands it's yeah it's just not viable for us to just drop everything and tour for the next two years straight but um, yeah definitely go to Europe hopefully the States um, yeah then yeah uh, Asia there's always talk about going to Asia yeah, you know, we've been there a lot and we've made a lot of contacts and 
talk about getting a few festivals over there and stuff. And also um, doing Australian shows. We're doing the uh, doing New Zealand uh, under Southern Cross Sydney and New Zealand shows, which should be cool. Never been in New Zealand, so should be yeah. cool to play that. Nice. Yeah, so that's the band. We'll just be uh, put the album out and then tour, tour, tour. True Think is just, yeah, it's ongoing. It's just uh, got a couple of releases coming out. Um, Eternal Rest from Brisbane putting out their album in February. So that's the next one. We just put out the latest Alkira album, which, which, is, which is great. And just getting out there once, you know, the the whole gap of the Christmas season ends and get out there and push that big time with all the, with all the next year and stuff and get them to the next level. Um, there's always bands are putting stuff out. Yeah, and then um, as far as big shows go, uh, last year I did a heavy SA festival and it was just all Adelaide bands, sort of like a new dead, but just all Adelaide and it was just massive. It was, the turnout was huge. We got close to like 700 people at, wow. that, at that show. Um, a lot of people said, oh, you know, I asked a lot of different bands to be on it. Like I wanted to mix up the genres so, of, of, of heavy music, so hardcore, metal, you know, doom, grind, uh, pretty much most bands turned it down except for the metal scene, so it just ended up being 17 metal bands, local bands, and yeah, we got like 700 to this thing, so Oof. it was huge. Like, yeah, it, was wow. just, it was really cheap. We did it cheap. We did like $15 for the whole day, but no, massive turnout, so Sal was like, you've got, can you do that again? So we're going <laughs> to do that again in April. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, the New Dead uh, will probably be, as I wasn't too sure with Fowler's if it was closing or not, it was it's just was just left up in the air, but now Fowler's has been given a reprieve for the next two years, so the new dead will happen again. But it won't be till uh, probably like October, November, depending on who I can get. You know, if we can land an international again, like we do going all, that'd be great. But I'm always all for just doing Australian lineups because that was the whole intention of the show was just being all Australian stuff. So I think uh, once the heavier phase, then I'll start looking at it and see what we can do. Well, I think um, I think from you know with, with against the grain previously, and then the new dead. I mean what you said before about metal for the brain being sort of that, that pinnacle of, of what Australian metal festivals were all about. I mean, probably when you start looking at what else is out there now, what you've done in Adelaide probably is probably second best after, after metal for the brain. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have come out of the woodwork over the last few years and have started putting, putting on their own little things. But for the most part, I mean, you come from a more extreme metal side, but you've, you've, Diversed your lineups a fair bit, and there's, you know, there's a lot more of the melodic stuff that's starting to pop up now. So you got all those melodic thrash, heavy metal, old school trad yep. festivals that are popping up around the place, but they're still very niche in their genre. Um, yeah. But like Metal for the Brain was so good because it just it covered everybody. It didn't matter. It was it was, yeah. heavy, it was heavy music pretty much. So I think um, I can't think of anybody else. There's probably a couple of festivals that have happened in Melbourne over the years, but uh, I think consistently you've probably you've probably uh, been the next one off the rank after after Metal for the Brain. So hopefully it just continues on the right direction because um, maybe Adelaide will, or it's already starting to be the the next Canberra. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I mean that. I mean that in the nicest way possible as well. Because as soon as I, as soon as that came out of my mouth, I went, "Oh, geez, that sounds like an insult." <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty much my intention. Because I remember, I met off the brain. It's like, oh, we need to go to Canberra. The best reason to go to Canberra was met off the brain. So it's like, it's, I'm hoping it's like, oh, the only reason to go to Adelaide maybe is to go to the New Dead. So you know, that's yeah. kind of the thinking there. So if you're going to go, come to that. You know. Or, you know, when they do Black Conjuration as well, that's a great festival, which, which is a niche thing. So, you know, that's another reason to come to Adelaide. So yeah, that was the thinking. If you're going to come here, you might as well come here for one of these events, you know, and have a great time and see some great bands. And the whole reason of that festival, to my opinion, it's like making sure that the people paying have a great show, enjoy the night, the bands playing have a great 
time, have a great show, but also make sure that all the bands, you know, the later bands downstairs are looked after and everyone has a great time because it's what I would want as my band to make sure as a fan and as a band to be looked after the old days is great. So make sure everyone has a good time. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you've been doing a good job. So I'm looking forward to what you what you pull out of your pocket for later in the year for, for the next instalment because you've uh, you set the bar pretty high now. Oh, cheers, man. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you go um, and cool. I'll probably bump into you at some stage uh, in Adelaide. I'm going to come over for a few few different things, so I'll, uh, I'll no doubt uh, have a few beers with you then. Awesome, man. Good to see you. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Uh, if you want to check out Jason's stuff, you can find him on all the social media platforms, more than likely. Uh, you can definitely find him on Facebook. But uh, checking out Truth Corroded, you can go to Facebook, uh, Instagram, I believe. Um, they've got a Bandcamp page. You can go to truthcorroded.com. That's probably the easiest thing. It's got all the links from there. They've also got a Bandcamp, Bandcamp page. I need to learn to talk. I just anyway, whatever. Bandcamp page, truthcorroda.bandcamp.com, I believe. And um, definitely make contact with him and let him know what you think. As I always say with all my podcast guests, I can't I can't stress that enough. Um, these guys, I mean, as you guys know, these podcast interviews usually go for at least an hour um, in most cases. And, um, you know, I mean, it I'm sure most people love to have a chat and whatnot, but it does take some time and um, most of these guys are pretty busy and they've got a lot on their plates. So for them to, to take the time to have a chat to me means a lot to me personally. And um, and I know that a lot of you guys really, really love listening to these episodes as well. So if you do get a spare few minutes, definitely reach out to some of these guys, the ones that you really sort of uh, – you know, felt resonated with you and you really enjoyed something that they said uh, or you looked into what they do a bit further and you end up be- becoming a fan of, of their music or their projects or anything that they're involved with, um, it'd be really, really cool if you if you sent a message and just let them know what you think. I, I think they'd really appreciate it as well. Um, final bit of housekeeping before I wrap things up. Um, if you want to support this podcast, there's a few things that you can do. They're all very easy, um, but we know what the internet's like and, and uh, we're all busy and uh, an extra click somewhere is usually a lot of effort, I know, from personal experience. But there are a number of things that you can do. The best thing that you can do and the easiest thing you can do is spread the word. Duh. So uh, I've got all the episodes on YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, you know exactly where they are. But um YouTube's easy, the easiest way to share uh, podcast episodes. So I upload everything to my Andy Dowling YouTube page. So uh, the URL will be youtube.com slash C for Charlie slash Andy Dowling. And uh, you'll be able to find this episode and every other episode on there. Great way to share them around or just tell people. Um, other things you can do is uh, get interactive on social media. So when I'm posting a podcast episode on any of the platforms, please heart it, like it, share it, comment, t- retweet, um, whatever you can do helps that post reach more people, which then in turn encourage more people to click on the links and listen to the podcast episodes. They're very simple things and um, it it goes a long way, especially when you've got just shitty platforms like Facebook these days that don't reach very many people when you post. The more people that are interacting with the posts, the more reach you'll get, the more people will will see those posts in their news feeds. So um, that's a really easy way. Now, if you want to get a little bit more complex... 
you can go to andysocial.net, especially if you're an Amazon shopper. Now, I've got an Amazon portal. You can go to my website and there's an Amazon portal link. You click on that link and it takes you straight to Amazon. Now, your shopping experience stays exactly the same. Nothing changes. There's no real benefit to you whatsoever, except for that warm, fuzzy feeling for me. Now, what it actually does is it's a unique link that gives me a small percentage of what you spend through Amazon. Now, you can buy absolutely anything and everything from Amazon, from music to books to um, to hygiene products to... Um, Oh, God knows anything, anything and everything. I, I remember listening to Duncan Trussell's uh, podcast and I totally ripped off this Amazon portal idea from him. But um, I think you can buy bidets from there and toilet products and, and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, if you shop on Amazon, it'd be really, really cool if you use my portal link before you go and start shopping on there. Um it's a tiny, tiny little bit of money per spend. It's so tiny, it's ridiculous. However, when a lot of you guys are shopping on Amazon, it builds up. And for me, the goal is that the money that comes through from that, and there are a number of people that have been using this, so thank you so much. The money that is coming through from that does fund just the monthly expenses to uh, to run this podcast. So uh, things such as the uh, web host, the podcast hosting fees, um, even sometimes I might have to upgrade some cables or um, yeah, upgrade some gear. Um, and then if things go really well, then I'll use that money to fund um, a bit of travel to get around and, and talk to more people or find opportunities to get to places that um, people are lurking. That sounds very suspicious, but you know what I mean. So it's, uh, it's not so much for personal gain in the sense that I'm using the money to go and get pissed or, you know, living a, a life of luxury. It's really just to ensure the longevity of this podcast. And for me, I get so much personal satisfaction out of this and I really want to do everything I can to ensure that this is here long-term. The more I talk to people and the more questions I ask, the more I learn, the more I grow. And I hope that you guys are getting a little bit out of it as well each and every episode. So that's enough. Um, if you want to follow me on all the platforms, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, God knows whatever else, Tumblr. I've even got a ridiculous Tumblr account that I never log into, but it's synced up with other things. Anyway, I'm everywhere and anywhere. Um, you can contact me. Always happy for a chat. Always looking for suggestions for people. Um, I'm really looking for all sorts of people from all walks of life. So if you've got a really random person with an interesting story or profession or anything, um, please message me and let me know. I'm always keen to hear. And um, that's about it. I'm going to stop talking now because I can see myself rambling on and on and on. Oh, and one last thing. Sorry, guys. One last thing. I haven't mentioned this, I don't think, in any of the podcast episodes. I may have. I have – actually, I may have in the last episode. Anyway, I have – sorry, guys. I have a morning podcast on YouTube called Crazy Talk with Andy. Very amazing and original creative title, but that's what it's called. And each morning from Monday to Friday between 7.30 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. Sydney time – I upload a roughly half an hour um, podcast episode. Um, what that is is me in the car um, driving each morning and, uh, yeah, just uh, talking about anything and everything. If I've got an idea um, or something that's happened the day before or something that's coming up, um, just a bit more of the day-to-day -day ramblings with 
the intention being that I do less of it on the Handy Social Podcast. How ironic when you can't shut me up right now. But if you're still listening right now to me carrying on, thank you so much. Um, By all means, check out the Crazy Talk uh, podcast on my YouTube channel. It's only on YouTube. It's not on iTunes or anything of the such. It's a straight upload from my phone each and every day. The quality's not as good as this, but it's still pretty decent. So um, I'm always keen to hear what you think of that as well. But anyway, enough, enough, enough. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. You're a dead-